At this time, I invite you to turn in your Bibles and find the scripture passage we will consider this morning from Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 9 of chapter 8 in Isaiah. If you're just joining us this morning, visiting for the first time or after some time of being with us, we're here making our way through this majestic book written by the prophet Isaiah and find ourselves in this chapter here as he's addressing the small nation of Judah in his day, uh, over 700 years before the birth of Christ. And so we find this ancient message, but we find that it is so relevant and pertinent to where we stand today. And so let us hear this word of God with open ears and hearts ready to learn from him. So let us hear God's word from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 9 to chapter 9, verse 7. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Purpose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here am I, and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, And when they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea, along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled 
in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May he add his blessing to it as we consider it this morning. Well, I woke up this morning and read the breaking news that many of you probably read as well or heard of. And I read this. It says, in a dramatic escalation of the east and west tensions over Russia's invasion of Ukraine, President Vladimir Putin ordered Russian nuclear deterrent forces to be put on high alert this Sunday morning. So this move means that Putin has ordered Russia's nuclear weapons to be prepared for increased readiness to launch, naturally raising the threat that tensions could boil over into a nuclear war. Well, in other words, Putin is closer to making a decision of using Russia's vast nuclear arsenal that would likely result in catastrophic devastation of life on planet Earth that this world has never seen. Just a few months ago, back in November of 2021, the chief Navy official of England said to the House of Lords, he said this, the greatest risk to the survival of mankind isn't global warming, it's an accidental thermonuclear war. And that is a real possibility. Humanity is now standing, it seems, at the precipice of this great pit. You can imagine us all looking down at the possibility of great darkness that may come, that would be deeper and thicker than any of the darkest hours of human history up until this point. And so as we stand there looking down into the valley of darkness before us, the question is, why press on? Why not panic? What, what is your heart waiting for in the midst of these times in this darkness? If you're here with us last week, we looked at how King Ahaz of Judah, he crumbled under the pressure of the crisis that was before him. He rejected the sign of hope that God graciously offered to him. Ahaz had no hope in God, and so he made a geopolitical move that would eventually lead his small kingdom of Judah into a time of great darkness that Isaiah was foretelling here. Isaiah describes the coming despair in them in verses 21 to 22 of what we just read in chapter 8, where he says, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, and when they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward, will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. So what Isaiah is showing us as he was showing his original audience is that there is no way around the darkness in life, the darkness that is before us. The valley 
of distress and darkness is there lying before each and every one of us. The question is, how will you be getting through the darkness? What are you holding on to to pull you through? What Isaiah gives us here in this passage is wisdom, wisdom for wading through those dark waters by faith in God. He shows us how to wait in faith in the midst of darkness. And the way to do that is by welcoming the Son of God that he has sent into this world and walking in the light of his coming kingdom. Those will be our three points this morning. Waiting in the darkness, welcoming the Son, and walking in the light. So first, waiting in the darkness. Last week we concluded saying that God's people of Judah would not be totally destroyed by the coming despair that the, uh, the vast growing Assyrian empire that was coming to invade them. That in, that, in that coming destruction, that wave of destruction, that Judah would survive. That those who trusted in God would be sustained uh, remember that illustration of Judah, the, the nation, the remnant, kind of standing on tiptoes in the waters of God's coming judgment, uh, waiting for that despair to subside. And God was promising to lead that remnant of his people in such a way that they would stand firm in faith till the end. And Isaiah here is meditating on that reality. Commentator Alec Moiter says this, Isaiah now sees clearly that the only future that matters for Judah is the survival of individual believers within, and in contrast to the professing but merely formal people of God. So what that means is that, in other words, the visible people of God, those who claim to be believers, who claim to be Israelites and belong to God, that they would be greatly diminished in number in this coming wave of despair. But God's invisible people, those who truly believed in him and hoped in him, would be upheld. God's remnant people would remain standing in faith. I think the, the very same principle applies to us today, that many who claim to be Christian in the world will likely fall into despair when trials come their way in life. But God will keep his true believers standing in faith. Look at verse 9 to 10 of our passage. In chapter 8, here Isaiah, he's taunting the superpowers of his day, threatening, that were threatening God's people. And instead of shaking like trees in the wind, like we saw Ahaz and the people of Judah last week, Isaiah and the remnant people that he belonged with they're standing tall in faith. Why? What confidence does Isaiah have that the nations that were raging against God and his people, what confidence does Isaiah and the remnant have that they will stand under that threat? Well, he says at the end of verse 10, look at that, for God is with us. The promised presence of God strengthened the small remnant of believers with Isaiah to stand up to the bullies of the world. You see, Isaiah is basically saying here that Judah can be this scrawny little kid on the playground telling all the big bullies to back down. Why? Because this scrawny little kid, his dad, is the Lord God 
Almighty. In the face of great suffering, Isaiah finds this great comfort. God is with us, Emmanuel. Isaiah knows that God's plan for peace will stand and his strategy for salvation will not be thwarted. The bullies will not win in the end. God will come and protect and redeem his people. The people of Judah under King Ahaz did not have this hope. What were they doing? They were not standing firm. They were scrambling in fear. They went into a state of panic. In that moment of chaos and fear, the Lord God spoke to Isaiah and to his disciples, his group that followed him and looked to him for guidance. Look at verse 11 to 13. Isaiah says, The Lord spoke, warning me not to follow the way of this people. And so Isaiah and his community of disciples sees themselves as set apart from the larger visible people of God, the people of Judah. So do not be like this people. Do not follow in their way. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. You see, the people of Judah in Isaiah's day, they were losing their minds in fear and dread, talking left and right about the coming threat of that Israeli and Syrian alliance and the threat of them coming and destroying their life as they knew it in Judah. They were filled with fear. God says, don't fear what they fear. But notice here that God does not say, don't fear at all. He doesn't say that the life of faith is one without fear at all. In verse 13, God says what we are supposed to fear. Namely, the Lord God Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Uh, Ray Ortland, in his book, his commentary on this passage, is, what he says here is very helpful. He says, the message here is that a God consciousness redefines urgency. King Ahaz and Judah were wringing their hands over the Syrian uh, and Israeli threat. The way we fear terrorists, or perhaps Russia today, and God's remnant is not without fear, but their whole approach is different. The way they see it, they dare not overlook God. They see God at work in the events swirling around them, and in fearing Him, they stabilize themselves. So fear in God helps us stabilize our hearts as we recognize he is in control of all that is happening, that history is going according to his plan. How are they supposed to fear God and regard him as holy? Well, Isaiah speaks to his disciples in verse 16, where he says, bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction. He's saying basically, we need to preserve the wisdom of God in his word for later generations. The wisdom that so many others are neglecting and setting aside and not studying and not grabbing onto. We need to take hold of that. Bind it up, guard it, and preserve it for the generations to come. Then he adds in verse 20, to the teaching and to the testimony, it's a call to run to the truth of God's word. Uh, the illustration from the movie uh, Twister came to my mind as the tornado of chaos is coming. Strap yourself on to the truth of God's word so that you be kept from being torn away 
by the chaos of the winds around us. Grab on to the truth. Strap it on to yourself. Take hold of what God has given us in the word. You see, this is how we are to fear God and find refuge in him by relying on his word of truth, obeying it and preserving it for the next generations. So our fear of darkness, we find, is surpassed by our fear of God, but it is a different kind of fear. It doesn't leave us shaking in panic or stumbling like Ahaz and the rest of Judah. The fear of the Lord leaves us standing firm like Isaiah and his disciples, waiting with hope in the midst of darkness. Look at verse 14 to 15 of our passage. Here Isaiah says that God will either be a sanctuary to you or a stone of stumbling. Two options. Either he will be a sanctuary, a refuge to you, or a stone of stumbling or a snare to you. Jesus, our Lord Jesus, applied this metaphor, this passage to himself when he said in Matthew 21, the one who falls on this stone, referring to himself, will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And then Peter, in his letter, refers to Jesus as the stone of stumbling, the the stone that was rejected by Israel has become the cornerstone of God's new temple sanctuary that God is building, namely the church. And so who is Jesus Christ to you? In the midst of darkness, in the face of what is before us, is he your refuge and your sanctuary, your only comfort in life and in death, your only hope and your only stay? Or are you still trying to avoid him as much as possible? Tripping over the truth as you pursue your own ways. See, God has promised that he will be with us, with his remnant people. The question is, are you part of the us in that promised declaration? God is with us. We can know that if we stand with God in faith, looking to him as our refuge and our strength, that even through the most fiery and dangerous tribulations, that we will stand with him. We do not have to fear what the world fears because God is with us. Because of God's promise, we have a hope that the world does not have, does not know that God has sent into this world for us his own beloved son, and he is our true hope. And that is the hope that Isaiah points to next in chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. And so we'll consider our second point, welcoming the sun. So after the utter darkness that Isaiah is foretelling here, prophesying that will come, he also tells us that at the end, after, a great light will come. The darkness is real, yes, but it is not the only reality. The darkness will not have the final word. Alec Moiter says, in any given situation... And we can think of this in our own time, in our own life right now. In any given situation, we can either sink into despair or rise in faith and hope. And Isaiah insists that hope is part of the constitution of the here and now. And so, in the face of the superpowers of the world that threaten to undo us, what is the secret weapon that God has sent into the world? What did God send us? to this world to stop the angry nations in the wars, to bring them to to cease fire. It is the most unlikely solution that we find a child, a child. Look at verse 6. 
He finally gets there where he speaks of the great hope, the great light, where he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What was God promising? He was promising to send a child into this world to fix this broken world and to set things right. And we learn quite a bit in this passage here about who this child would be. What do we learn about him? He's a child. What that means is that he's a human being, a descent of humans, a descendant of humans. Son means that he would be male and therefore heir to the royal throne, heir to the throne of King David. Born means that he would be one who was born by natural birth, but given in this text means that he would be a gift from God. So given from outside of this world into this world. We also hear that the government would be on his shoulders, so he comes to shoulder all the problems and difficulties of his people by accepting the burden of leadership for them. And then we hear the four names that he will be called. Wonderful Counselor, which means that he is an impartial pundit, right? His advice in all things is always correct and always perfect, and therefore he can rule perfectly forever. He is mighty God, means that he is more than just a man. He is also the powerful creator God who is able to vanquish all of our foes. He is also called Everlasting Father, which means that he is the most personable and approachable human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. You know, patriarchs, patriarchies in this world can often be abusive, but we find that Jesus, this one who is called everlasting father, is the great patriarch of gentleness, the one who referred to himself saying, I am gentle and lowly of heart, like a loving father with his children. He is also called Prince of Peace, which means that this child has begun a kingdom that creates peace. He is the great peacemaker. Now, who is this child who was born to us? It was given to us. We know him as the New Testament, as the apostles declare to us, reveal to us, and bear testimony to Jesus Christ the one whose hometown was Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the nations from that northern backwaters part of Israel, up north, the first part of the kingdom of Israel that was overtaken by the Assyrians. From that backwater place, God sends his plan of redemption. There dawned the great light of the world 2,000 years ago. The light of hope. I've held on for many years a vague memory of when I was about three years old. It was a scary moment for me in my life, and strong, strong emotions kind of uh, attach like a glue to our memories and keep them there for longer. It was a moment where I was very afraid, and I probably thought I was going to die as a young little three-year-old with everyone around me. What happened? Well, I was with my parents in an Ikea store, and if you've been to an Ikea store, you know that they pretty much don't have any windows inside, and you can get pretty deep inside the store, and so there's no natural light coming in at all. We were in the middle of the store when all of a sudden the lights went out, all of them, and immediately it was pitch black darkness, utter darkness, no light. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face, 
And this was before people had cell phones. You couldn't just uh, rip out your cell phone and turn on your flashlight, the backlight. The generator didn't turn on. So for a three-year-old, seconds felt like minutes, minutes felt like hours. And I remember telling my dad that I was scared. And he picked me up and he held me tight. You see, true darkness is scary. Why? We don't know which way to move, right? We can't see if something is going to get us. Darkness makes us feel vulnerable and powerless. Darkness reminds us of death. Because nothing can live in utter darkness. Darkness is the place of death. Isaiah says here that humanity is in a place of great distress and darkness. Why? Let's remind ourselves it is because we have neglected our Creator, God, and His Word. We chose to turn off the lights by turning away from Him because God is light. So we in this world are like the lost children in the darkness. In the darkness, in that darkness, many utter words of fear and false hopes all around us. Everyone's stumbling about, right? tripping over the stone of stumbling. Every day we hear voices of political pundits, politicians, and writers all shouting in the darkness, but as Isaiah says here, they have no dawn. We humans do not have the light within us. We are dawnless. Thousands of years have passed, and still we lie, cheat, murder. Humans still hold grudges and start wars. Humans are still just as greedy and selfish as before. There is no dawn for humanity alone. So back in Ikea, in my dad's arms, my mom reached out in front of her and she grabbed a little wax cylinder. We were in the candle section of Ikea and she reached into her purse, grabbed the match and struck, struck it and lit that first candle. And we could see again, I, I breathed again with some hope. And then we used that candle to light more candles and spread them out to others around us. Light was a sign of hope. By seeing just a flickering light, my heart believed that I would make it out, that I would not be forever stuck in the darkness. Light meant a way out was provided. While there is no light of hope within us, God has given us true light, the light of the world, his son who was born to us. So have you welcomed the son of God in your heart. Think of this. Not everyone who walks into your house is necessarily welcomed by you, right? Some people barge in or walk in or knock on your door unwelcomed. The Son of God has been born, but he was not welcomed by those whom he came to save. Humanity crucified this child that was born to us, born to be king, But Jesus rose again and he reigns as king. So we realize that God has broken into this world. He came in. The question is, have you welcomed him in your own heart? Have you found the courage and humility to ask Jesus to be your savior? Have you honored Jesus as your king by swearing allegiance to him through thick and thin? Have you welcomed him in? The English word for welcome, it comes from the old English wilkema, which literally means one whose coming suits another's will or wish. 
One who's coming suits another's will or wish. So let me ask you this question. Does the first and second coming of Jesus Christ into this world suit your will and your wish? Does that suit what you want and must long for in life? Do you see in your heart that Jesus is humanity's only hope, your only hope? That is what we must come to. Look to Jesus, look to Jesus' cross and his resurrection, because whether you personally welcome him in or not, he has come, and he is coming again. For God's remnant people like Isaiah and his disciples and like believers today, this means something great, glorious, good news, the light of glory. The light of glory will come after the darkness that is before us, after the darkness of death, we have the hope of light. We can stand tall, waiting in the darkness, telling our hearts, after darkness, light. That great Reformation phrase, post tenebras, lux, after darkness, light. There is hope after the darkness. But it isn't enough to just look to the light, to trust in the light. We have to see that light, and then we must walk in that light toward the light evermore walking in accordance with the reality of Christ and his coming kingdom. And so we'll come to our last, our third and brief point, walking in the light. In 1 John in the New Testament, we read that the darkness is already passing away and the true light is already shining. So dawn has come with the birth of Christ in human history and his birth and his resurrection over death. So what do we do now? Now that dawn has come, now that the light is already shining, well, John says God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's his nature. And then he says, because this dawn has already happened, if we walk in the light, he is light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. So how do we walk in the light as he is light? I want to just press this simple this simple way before us of walking in the light in the midst of darkness we must stand in faith hope and love earlier this week when i told my son josiah tried to explain to him what's happening in the world the international crisis with ukraine and russia and the war that is afoot he asked me why is putin attacking them why and i replied it's because he wants power he wants to be in control. He wants to be like God. But he isn't. President Putin is just another proud little man. And then Josiah said, but what if he beats them and comes here to us? What are we going to do about that? A great question, right? I said, good question, son. What are we going to do? Well, this is what we're going to do. We are going to stand in love. We're going to stand in faith hope and love. And we've been meditating on Psalm 23 because that's his memory uh, passage for the month in his school. And Psalm 23, I, I told him, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it says, I will fear no evil. Why? The same hope that Isaiah mentioned earlier, for you are with me. God is with us. So son, I told him, even if others try to hurt us, God will keep us standing in love. Man can kill our bodies, as Jesus said, but they can't kill our souls. And on the last day, Jesus will use his power to make our bodies rise again from the dead in resurrection power. 
Remember how Isaiah, the beginning of this passage, we find him taunting the nations of his day. They were raging against God and his kingdom. Well, so too we, the church, can taunt the nations of the world today. The scrawny little church can stand up to the bullies of the world with confidence and say, you can try and beat me up and push me into the dirt, but God is my father. And in the end, O rulers of the world, you might stomp on us now, but we will stand over you with Christ in the end. We can say to people, puny little men like Putin, who have lots of power in this world, that if you seek to suppress and supersede the church of Christ in this world, you and your Kremlin will not stand. You might stomp on us now, but we will stand over you in the end. This is great encouragement for us, knowing that God himself is with us and instills big courage in the smallest of men. Knowing that God is with you will instill big courage, even if you are really small. Kids and adults, you can think of this, that when you know that God has your back, then you can stand up to the biggest bully on the playground in the world. Why? Not because you are so strong. We are often weak and feeble. But because God is the strongest. He is the strongest. Even if you get hit or pushed, God will give you the strength to get back up. The kind of strength, that internal strength of our heart, our character, the strength that God gives us that makes us less vulnerable to defeat. He encourages us with his strength by the Spirit. So when the world jabs at us with his words, we know that God's word of love about us is what matters in the end. Others can say mean things to a kid, but when he knows that his loving father is there and lovingly approves of him, he can stand tall. When the world cuts deep wounds into our flesh, and we know that we belong to Jesus Christ and his resurrection power, he who stood victorious, with lash wounds on his back and an incision wound in his abdomen and nail wounds in his hands and his feet, we can stand with Jesus knowing that we stand with his resurrection power. We can stand tall and courage before the sword and the saw and the scaffold or whatever may come our way. We can face every bully until death itself knowing that Christ will lift us up again. Why? Why does God have our back like that? How do we have the courage to stand up? How do we know he will come through for us in the end? Because God doesn't fight for us or for you because you are deserving or you are right. He fights for you because he is your loving father and you are his child in Christ. And also look at the very end of our passage in chapter 9, verse 7. Why, why will God do this? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God, loved ones, will save us all the way to the end, to the uttermost, because he is in it for his own glory, because he has given us his word and he will not go back on his word. And so in the face of great trial and difficulty, danger and the darkness ahead of us, let us welcome in the light of Christ. Let us walk in that light, waiting in the darkness for the hope that is to come. Let us stand tall, in faith, hope, and love. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this ancient text, this ancient story, and the truths that are embedded in it. 
that reach us here and now, that speak directly into our current moment. And Lord, we ask that your word would strengthen and encourage your people to stand in faith, hope, and love. We admit that we are sinful, that we are weak and feeble, and often fear things in this world when in reality we should fear you above all else and look to you as our refuge and our strength. God, we ask that you would give us the humility to receive Jesus in the fullness of his kingdom in our own hearts, in our own lives, and cause us by your spirit to walk in your light all the more, standing tall in faith, hope, and love. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.